Welcome to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is Brian Albrecht, your host of Mission Go. Today's scripture is taken from 1 Timothy chapter 3, verse 16, which says, Great is the mystery of godliness. God was manifested in the flesh, justified in the spirit, seen by angels, preached among the Gentiles, believed on in the world, and received up in glory. This is really an overview of the work that the Lord Jesus did when he came to the earth, where he died on the cross, where he rose from the dead, and then when he ascended back to the Father. And this is a mystery of godliness. It's hard to believe that this great God who is a creator, who created this whole world as fast as you could blink an eye or snap your fingers, created the whole universe. And yet that same God became man, lived among us, and bore our sins in his own body on the cross of Calvary. He shed his own blood, were redeemed by the blood of Christ. And because of that, our sins are forgiven. And he died and he rose again on the third day. And he's now seated at the right hand of God the Father. And we have this great high priest who is interceding for us, who's praying for us, who's helping us each day, who's empowering us each day to do the work of the ministry. What a great privilege and opportunity we have as believers in Jesus Christ to serve him each day and to represent him as his ambassador for Christ here on earth. May the Lord help us all to be humble servants of the Most High God.
Good morning, this is Dennis Campbell, president of Mission Go. This morning I would like to share with you a concern. Today we have come together as followers in Christ to address an urgent matter that requires our attention and support. In various parts of the world, our fellow Christians are enduring severe persecution due to their unwavering faith. In the coming months, I and others must stand in solidarity with these Christians and offer our assistance in their time of need. The scriptures remind us of the importance of supporting and caring for our brothers and sisters facing persecution. In doing so, we demonstrate the love of Christ and fulfilling our calling to be his hands and feet in the world. I would like to share with you my concerns for our brothers and sisters in the Far East country that has a prime minister encouraging lawsuits and threats for preaching and teaching the Bible. I cannot share the name of the country by name as I seek to travel there and wish not to increase persecution or the prevention of this travel. Currently, an evangelistic effort are being seen as proselyting the people as an illegal act. Beatings and jail sentences have become routine for Christians in some regions of this country. When the pastors are arrested, the bail payment that is most often required is the surrendering of the title of their land holding. Thus, the property gets converted to government ownership which closes the church or any outreach of that ministry site. Regional facilitators, they often discuss and plan strategies for survival and network among themselves to support prayer and planning events. As we reflect on the biblical reference that emphasize these principles, Hebrews 13.3 says, Remember the prisoner as if chained with them. Those who are mistreated since yourselves are in the body also. This verse urges us to empathize with our persecuted brethren and to remember them as if we were enduring their suffering ourselves. It calls us to offer our support both materially and spiritually to those who are imprisoned or mistreated for their faith. There are a few practical steps we can take. Number one, prayer for those in the persecuted church. Praying for their safety, courage, and endurance. Seek God's guidance for their deliverance. Pray for solidarity and fellowship with other believers. Number two, practical assistance, such as humanitarian aid, legal aid, and rehabilitation programs for survivors of the persecuted. We are looking to mobilize over 35 pastors in this high security area, covering their travel for this upcoming gathering. To provide for all of these efforts, we need to raise $35,000 Canadian. Number three, solidarity. Encourage communication and fellowship between our churches. I, along with other brothers and sisters, will take on the assignment of traveling to this place. We believe it can be of an enormous consequence. The network and the relationship building, along with the biblical strengthening and the Pacific areas of instruction are vital to building up our personnel to cope or even survive. 
being faithful to God and His Word in such condition as they face it every day. Would you support our desire for this coming event? It is intended to support the strengthening of the gospel outreach. Remember, our support for the persecuted church, it is an expression of our faith. May the Holy Spirit guide us as we respond to this call to action, and may our efforts bring comfort, hope, and freedom to those persecuted for their unwavering faith. Today, let us shine the light of Christ in the darkest corner of the world. Please join us as we pray and go into the field ripe for the harvest. Thank you for listening to this plea today. Thank you for listening to Canada's National Bible Hour. This is a listener-supported program, and we would not be on the air without the support of our listeners, like you. In preparation for the coming of Christmas, we would like to offer a daily readings for Advent by John Piper. These 25 brief devotional readings from John Piper begin on December 1st, and carry us to Christmas Day. We pray, that God would use these readings to deepen and sweeten our adoration of Jesus, this December and keep Him as the center and greatest treasure of your Christmas season. The candles and candies have their place, but we want to make sure that in all the coming Christmas rush and hubbub, we adore Jesus above all. To order your copy, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2R7A7 or in the U.S., Box 2010, Buffalo, New York. Thank you for your continued faithfulness.
Today's message is from Reverend Art Larson and is entitled, The Majesty of Christ. Printed copies are available upon request. Officials of a state employment office in Tucson, Arizona, posted an interesting sign over a full-length mirror. Directed to all job hunters, it reads, Would you hire this person? In another office, a mirror and sign joined forces to pose this question. Are you ready for a job? These officials wanted people to take a good look at themselves before seeking employment. Now, what about you and me? Have you taken a good look at yourself lately in the mirror? But more importantly, have you taken a good look at yourself lately in the mirror of God's holy word? You see, the Bible says man looks at the outward appearance, but God looks on the heart. To find out what we really look like in the eyes of God, we have to look in the mirror of his holy word, the Bible. Now, if you stood before God today in your present spiritual condition, would he let you into his heaven? Don't be too quick to say yes. I want you to think about it as we continue our studies in the wonderful book of Philippians, a very heart-searching portion in chapter 3. This book, which Paul wrote from prison, the theme of which is joy and rejoicing, reveals some very, very vital and important truths about what it means to be a Christian. In chapter 1, he spoke about the mastery of Christ, chapter 2, the mind of Christ, and now here in chapter 3, the majesty of Christ. You see, Christianity is Christ. When Paul came to know Jesus as Lord and Savior and realized his majesty, that he was the King, the King of kings, and that he was the Lord, the Lord of lords, it transformed his whole life. In our last message, in verses 1, 2, and 3, we saw that Paul gave a word of wisdom, a word of warning, and a word of witness. We'll continue that word of witness today in verses 4 through 9. If you have your Bible, I want you to follow along. If not, listen carefully as I read the end of verse 3 and continue his witness in verses 4 through 9 of Philippians chapter 3. He says, We worship God in the Spirit and rejoice in Christ Jesus and have no confidence in the flesh, that is, in ourselves, in our own self-effort, self-accomplishments. Now listen to what he says as he reviews his background. Though I might also have confidence in the flesh, if any other man thinks he has reasons for which he might trust in the flesh, I have more. Circumcised the eighth day of the stock of Israel, of the tribe of Benjamin, and Hebrew of the Hebrews, as touching the law, a Pharisee, concerning zeal, persecuting the church, touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. But what things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ? Yea, doubtless, and I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse, dung, that I may win Christ, and be found in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. We're going to see in this testimony that the Apostle Paul talks about his past. This is what I was. And his present. This is what I am. And his passion. This is what I do. And also his prospect. This is what I shall be. Every true Christian, born again of the Spirit of God, in whose life Christ now lives, can point to a time when Christ was not there in their life, and they can say, this is what I was. 
And then through faith in Christ, they can say, this is what I now am. And this is what I now do. And by the grace of God, according to his wonderful promises about heaven and his coming back for me, this is what I shall be. How wonderful to be a true Christian. What Paul shares today is that he has no confidence in himself, in his self-efforts. And we're going to see in verses 4 through 7, his bankruptcy, utter bankruptcy in self-righteousness. He talks about it. And then in verses 8 and 9, we will see his beautiful and wonderful and bountiful bounty in Christ's righteousness. What he could never have in self-righteousness, he now possesses by grace, through faith, in Christ's righteousness. Paul talks about his race, his religion, his reputation, and his righteousness in verses 4 through 6. In fact, what he is doing here is listing seven advantages that were his as a Jew in his day. He talks about this because he's saying, that he can boast the most of anyone of all the self-accomplishments that supposedly could or should recommend us to God. And certainly he would let us into his heaven, accept us with all of these self-accomplishments. But Paul says they mean absolutely nothing when I compare them to the accomplishment of Jesus Christ, to the person and work and character of Jesus Christ the Lord. Listen to how he puts it. He talks about his race and how he boasts in this at one time, but now finds that he is bankrupt. Then his religion, and then his reputation, and then his righteousness. He says, I was circumcised the eighth day. A convert to Judaism was circumcised in maturity, and Israelites were circumcised in the 13th year, but Paul as a true full-blooded Jew, was circumcised at birth. Then he says of the stock of Israel, he was able to trace his lineage all the way back to Jacob, who had prevailed with God and become Israel. Jacob was honored and revered by all Jews, for it was to him the Jewish people owed their, their origin. He says, thirdly, I was of the tribe of Benjamin. Benjamin was the only tribe to remain faithful to Judah after the division of the kingdom. Within its borders was the holy city. And Benjamin was also the birthplace of the people's first king, Saul, undoubtedly, whose Jewish name Paul had taken. He says also, I was a Hebrew of the Hebrews. He was a Hebrew as opposed to being a foreigner, a descendant of Hebrew parentage. Both of his parents being Jewish, spoke the Hebrew language and knew the Hebrew customs. Oh, yes, he could boast in his race. But he also boasted in his religion as touching the law of Pharisee. The Pharisees were the strong defenders and the best qualified expositors of the Mosaic law. They had also many other regulations of do's and don'ts. In fact, probably near or more than 900 of them. They were very, very self-righteous and recognized as the ultra-conservative party among the Jews. Then he says, concerning his reputation, Concerning zeal persecuting the church, this was looked upon as an honor in those days because people hated these people that claimed to be followers of Jesus Christ. They nicknamed them Christians, Christ ones. You remember at the time of his conversion, Saul of Tarsus was on the way to persecute the believers in Damascus. It's recorded in Acts 9. Before he was saved, he stood at the stoning of Stephen, the first martyr, and he stood there with great pride and pomp. Oh, he had a reputation 
He was held in high esteem as he sought to stamp out the memory of this Jesus of Nazareth and all the misguided followers of him until he found out that what Jesus said and who he was was true. But he also talks about his righteousness. He says, as touching the righteousness which is in the law, blameless. And this refers to the ceremonial and moral righteousness claimed by the Mosaic law. It has nothing to do with the inner righteousness. When Saul came face to face with Jesus Christ, he recognized that he was completely devoid of any acceptable righteousness in the sight of God. But as to the keeping of the ceremonial and moral law, Paul was without fault, blameless. And so here he is boasting in race, religion, reputation, and righteousness. How many people today will say, oh, I go to church. Oh, I'm religious. Oh, my father was a minister. My uncle was a missionary. Oh, I believe and give to the church. And, and I try to live a good life. And, and people know me as a fine person and so on. And they're trusting in their race, their re religion, their reputation, their righteousness. I was born in this particular land, and therefore I must be a Christian. How foolish to boast in those things which can, which can never make us right in the sight of God. Because God demands perfect righteousness. And there's only one person who can, who can stand up to that reputation, and that is the Lord Jesus Christ. When Paul compared his righteousness to Christ, he says it's like refuse, verse 7. It's like refuse, verse uh, 8. It's like garbage compared to to the righteousness of Jesus Christ. Now, don't get mad at Paul when he <laughs> compares his own righteousness to garbage. Listen to what God says in Isaiah 64, 6. He says, all our righteousnesses are as filthy rags in the sight of God. You see, God is simply saying that even though it is a very wonderful thing to try to be good and to do good, that that goodness is not what God will accept. He will only accept the goodness of of Jesus Christ. And so Paul realizes his utter bankruptcy in self-righteousness. And he goes on to say, verse 7, what things, you see, what he had were things. What things were gained to me, those I counted loss for Christ. Yea, doubtless, without a doubt, I count all things but loss for the excellency of the knowledge of Christ Jesus my Lord, for whom I have suffered the loss of all things, and do count them but refuse or garbage that I may win Christ and be found in him, not having my own righteousness which is of the law, but the righteousness which is of God by faith in Jesus Christ." You notice he's comparing things to knowing Christ. He's comparing things to gaining Christ Jesus. He's comparing things to a person. He's comparing things to the righteousness of Christ. My friend, what are you trusting in today? What do you believe will take you to heaven? What Paul is speaking about here is personal and it is positional. What Paul is saying in this passage of Scripture is that Jesus Christ is more than anything you and I can ever have or possess if it relates to race, religion, reputation, righteousness, or anything else. It cannot compare to the Lord Jesus Christ. He's saying that all the things I once trusted in, all the things that I had, when I realized that I could actually know in a personal way 
the Lord Jesus Christ as my Lord and my Savior, that I could actually have him and not just these things, then these things were as nothing. They were like garbage compared to the wonderful, beautiful, glorious, and rich person and fellowship of the Lord Jesus Christ. Not only did he gain this personal bounty of Christ's righteousness, he came to know the Lord Jesus Christ as Savior and Lord, but he came into a positional righteousness with Christ. He said, I, I've suffered the loss of all things, and, and I count them as refuse that I may gain Christ and be found in him, in him, in him, not having my own righteousness, which is of the law, but that which is through the faith of Christ, the righteousness which is of God by faith. This positional wealth that he found was that he was now accepted in Christ Jesus. If anyone be in Christ, he is a new creation. Old things are passed away and all things become new. And he no longer had his own righteousness, but he had the very righteousness of Christ. You see, the Bible says, in our flesh there dwells no good thing. Paul said that in Romans 7:18. Then the Bible says, and Paul said it again, that those who live in the flesh, no matter how religious or self-righteous they may be, can never please God. Read it in Romans 8:8. 8, 8. But then the Bible goes on to say that God made Jesus to be sin for us. He who knew no sin, that we might be made the righteousness of God in him. You see, Paul came to know Christ personally. And then he was found in Christ and accepted in the beloved one, Jesus, not having his own righteousness anymore, which was through self-effort, but the righteousness which was of God by faith, the only righteousness which God will ever accept. A pious Sunday school teacher stood before his class and said to the boys as he stood there proudly, why do you think people say that I'm such a wonderful Christian? And one of the boys who knew him pretty well said, maybe they don't really know who you are. Wow. Could could it be said of you, that you are a true, genuine Christian, not trusting in your own self-effort. We extend our heartfelt gratitude to each and every one of you for tuning to this radio broadcast today. Your presence and attentive listening have truly made a difference. Today's message was a testament to the power and beauty of Jesus Christ and the eternal truths found within the Bible. We sincerely hope that these messages have touched your hearts, illuminated your minds, and enriched your Christian walk. For those of you who may not yet know Jesus Christ, we humbly pray that these messages and broadcasts serve as guiding light, leading you to an understanding of the profound truth and the wisdom encapsulated in the Bible. May they stir curiosity with you, prompting a sincere search of understanding of the gospel and your personal connection with our Savior. In preparation for Christmas, we would like to offer a daily readings for Advent by John Piper. These 25 brief devotional readings from John Piper begin on December 1st, and carry us to Christmas Day. We pray, that God would use these readings to deepen and sweeten our adoration of Jesus, this December and keep Him as the center and greatest treasure of your Christmas season. The candles and candies have their place, but we want to make sure that in all the coming Christmas rush and hubbub, we adore Jesus above all. To order your copy, please write to Canada's National Bible Hour, Box 1210, St. Catharines, Ontario L2R7A7 or in the U.S., Box 2010, Buffalo, New York. Thank you for your continued faithfulness.
Good day. If you, your friends from church, or family members are interested in more information about short-term or career ministry opportunities, or seeking someone to come to your church, or a group to speak about international missions, please call 866-483-5787 in Canada or 888-900-5048 in the United States or on the web visit www.missiongo.org. So we can share more information.